Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Christian Fellowship Free Church. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, as we begin, I'd like to say uh, a special thank you to those involved in our call to worship ministry. Our call to worship, um, every week we start our service with a reading of scripture. And this is not just a random picture, uh, a random scripture that is picked on Sunday morning. It's, it's thought out. Um, the scripture read is intentional and it's it's chosen to help us kind of be that moment of, okay, you know what? We hung out, we had some time to fellowship before church, and, and now this is it. Like We're starting worship. We're going to enter into uh, our time of communion with God, where it, you know uh, the week might be chaos and busy, and Monday is looking crazy, but, but right now here, this is a time where Scripture calls us and says, come in and, and be and rest and be with my people. And so um, we pick that, and we, we have a different Scripture read every week, and it's important. It's important to me. I, I think there's great value in any time the Word of God is read out loud, especially amongst God's people. Um, and so I, I see it as a really important part of our service. Um, and so for one, I encourage you, make sure you're here on time. Make sure you're here at the beginning of the service because it's an element that, that is helpful in worship. Uh, and number two, if you're interested in joining um, and being part of the Call to Worship team, uh, go ahead and just write that on your Connect card and fill that out and uh, drop that in the offering plate uh, when we take our offering later on today. Um, so thank you for all of you who have, who have been part of that uh, ministry. I, I really do appreciate it and it really is important to me. So uh, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We've been in this series, Where's the Joy? Studying the book of Philippians, Finding Our Joy in Christ. Um, and so we are going to be in continuing on in chapter 2 uh, this morning. Um, Paul has spent most of this letter to his friends, to this church in Philippi, encouraging them. Uh, encouraging them to have unity and fellowship amongst themselves. He's writing to encourage them to be selfless and sacrificing for one another. So last week we saw, um, as he encouraged them, as, as he told them the way that he wanted them to live, the way the church needed to respond to the disunity within itself, um, to look to Jesus. That the same way that Jesus humbled himself, the same way Jesus sacrificed himself for the sake of humanity, that should be our example of how to live in community. So this morning, as we continue on in chapter 2, um, we're going to talk about sanctification. Now, sanctification is one of those big, uh, scary church words that gets thrown around. Sanctific sanctification simply means being made more and more Christ-like. Okay, it's a process that lasts throughout our lives and will not end until we meet Jesus. Okay, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more this morning. And, but really, when it comes to sanctification, there's, there's generally two camps of thought on how sanctification works, how we are made more and more into the image of Christ. The first um, is that God does all of the work and that man doesn't do any of the work. Right? We get saved, you know, Christian, you get saved, and then you're basically on cruise control. God is doing all the work to make you more and more holy. You can't do anything yourself because of your sin nature, right? You're born with sin. We're born as sinners and rebels. And so how could we possibly have anything to do with our own sanctification? That's usually the thought process there. And um, those people that, that hold to that theory, that hold to that idea, usually buckle at the idea that any aspect of Christianity should be hard or should be, or, or that we should have to sacrifice at all, that we should have to sacrifice our, our comfort, have to sacrifice, um, you know, and, enter into the messy parts of Christianity and community and relationships because, well, Christ already sacrificed. 
right? The work has been done. It is finished. So I don't have to do any of that. The other side, the other camp um, says that actually sanctification is all about us. That Jesus did all of the work of saving us. And now it's on us to do all of the work of becoming more and more like him. These people, this camp of people, uh, usually make church life out of a, into a competition. Whether they explicitly or, um, or maybe even do it and they don't realize it, but they make it a competition. How many Bible verses can I memorize? How many Bible studies can I attend? How good can I be? How holy can I make myself? So the question remains, whose job is it? Whose job is sanctification? And in the text we're going to look at this morning, Paul tells us that it's actually neither of these ideas. But rather, sanctification is a joint venture between us and God. God prepares us, works in us, works through us, but it is on us to respond to what he is doing in our lives and embrace the moments he provides for us. So we're going to be in Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open there. If you don't own a Bible, um, please, there should be a Bible around you. And if you don't own a, you know, if you don't own a, a Bible, as I said, um, please take that Bible that is around you. That is our gift to you. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into Philippians 2. Heavenly Father, um, God, we thank you for having the ability to come together and worship you, Lord. Um, this morning, as we come, we come in the midst of a busy life that school has started, that routines are being built in again, and we find that even in the midst of the busyness, we find rest. We find you. God, you promised us that if we look for you, that we will find you. God, we're looking today. We're searching. We are hungry and thirsty for your truth. And so God, as we open up your word and study together this morning, I pray that you speak. I pray that you make it clear to us the message you have for us because you have us here this morning in this book on this day for a reason. So Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so Philippians 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to stop right there. Paul starts here in verse 12, and he says, look, I know that you guys have this heart to follow Christ. You obeyed the truths. You obeyed the gospel. You obeyed the message I had for you when I was there. Right? They were faithful to live well um, when Paul was there. And he says, you know what? You, you've also been doing it when I was gone, since I've been gone. Remember, we said uh, this letter is being written about 10 years prior, after uh, Paul came and first started the church in Philippi. And they've been faithful to follow him in that time. And he says, look, I want you to continue to be faithful. Continue to follow what I taught you. And now, even though I'm not there, even though I'm not there to walk with you, even though I'm not there to guide you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. This is one of those verses that we hear and it makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? I said uh, at the beginning of this series that Philippians is packed full of these verses and phrases and and, uh, passages that end up on a lot of uh, coffee cups and t-shirts. This is not one of those. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling is one of those that makes us uncomfortable. I mean, what does that even mean? How do we even do that? Well, I want to break this this verse down here. And I, I want to start by saying this is what it doesn't mean. This does not mean do good works to earn your salvation. That's not at all what Paul is saying here. And we know that for a couple of different reasons, actually. We know that for one, um, Paul is writing to Christians, right? He says, right at the beginning of the letter, he calls them uh, the saints in Philippi. He says, my beloved, my good friends, my dear friends, you who are set apart, that's who he's writing to. And so if he's writing to those who are already saved, if he's writing to Christians, why would he be telling them how to get saved? That doesn't make any kind of sense. That doesn't doesn't track with, with what we know about the church and who he's writing to. So, of course, he's already writing to Christians. So he isn't saying to them, look, you've already been saved. This is how to earn your salvation. That doesn't make any sense. So that's number one. Number two is if you look at verses 5 through 11 that we studied last week, Paul goes on, goes to great lengths to remind us of what Christ went through on our behalf, how he humbled himself, how he came to earth, became a man, died this horrible, humiliating death. death. So why would he then, after getting through all of that, turn around and say, yeah, but you don't really need it? Why would he turn around and say, yeah, Christ did all of this, but you can earn your own salvation. You can work your way to Jesus. Again, that doesn't track with what we know about Paul, what we know about the church. And number three, really, this is just not what Paul believed. It's not something that the church taught. We know from other letters, Paul wrote to another church in Ephesus, and in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's right here on the wall. 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's what Paul believed, that salvation is by grace, through faith. So if what Paul is saying here is not about doing good works to earn salvation, what does he mean with this phrase? What does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, that first part of that verse, to work out, means um, work something to completion. In Paul's day, it would refer, it was a mining term. It meant getting all of the resources out of a mine completely extracting everything useful from a mine. Or the same in in the harvest, when you would go into a field, it's getting every piece of grain, everything useful, get it out completely, gather it all completely. So to work out means work this to completion. And again, I want to stress here, this is not about our justification. Okay, if we're going to talk about salvation, we got to talk about justification, sanctification. I know, I'm throwing a lot of big words at you. I want to break these down as much as best I can. Justification is another one of those big church words. And again, the simplest definition I want to give you is that justification means being made right with God. See, we are born naturally as sinners and rebels of God. That's our out-of-the-box default wiring. 
And that rebellion against God, that sin against God, deserves death. But, because God is good, because God is love, he wanted to make a way for us to not have to experience that death. He didn't want us to have to deal with the total separation from him, so he sent Jesus to come to earth and take our place. His death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, takes the place for us, for the death we deserve to die. So that anyone who believes that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, that that pays the penalty for their sins, those people are no longer rebels and sinners, but now sons and daughters of God. Their status is made right. Their debt has been paid. They have been justified through the blood of Jesus. That's what justification means. And again, that's not what we're talking about here, though. This working out of your salvation, that is sanctification. Like I said earlier, the process of being made more and more into the image of Christ. See, it's a two-part thing. Justification has to happen. We have to have our debt paid. But then from there, God continues to work through us and in us in sanctification. This, this process of sanctification was explained to me uh, best actually by my father-in-law who's here this morning. Uh, if you picture an X and Y axis, I have one up on the screen. Okay, so the, the vertical axis um, is your Christ-likeness. And then the horizontal axis is uh, your life, basically, your Christian life. Okay, and so the idea would be that as you mature as a Christian, as time goes on and you mature as a Christian, you are becoming more and more. You're trying to get you know, up on a steady stream from uh, the bottom all the way up to the top right-hand corner. Well, your, yeah, your right-hand corner. Um, the idea would be you're, you're working on an on a upward stream, becoming more and more Christ-like, so that by the time you end, by the time it's time for you to meet Jesus, you are, as, you are Christ-like. Okay? And so the idea is as you are maturing and you are, as you are growing, you're moving in this upward direction. The problem is most of our lives, at least my own life, It's more like I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm heading up, and then something happens. I run into some issue, and I nosedive back down. And then I go back up, and I'm working, and I'm repenting, and I'm I'm trying to pursue Christ, and i got godly people around me, and I'm I'm pursuing God, and things are going, and I'm moving in that right direction again, and then something happens. I sin, I fall, something happens, and I take that nosedive. And it's this up and down as opposed to this straight line. But the idea, the hope is that through in sanctification is that as you are maturing as a Christian, you are moving closer and closer to being made more and more into the image of Christ. Paul here, though, isn't saying, I want you to do good works to earn your salvation. But rather, because you have received salvation, you need to do good works. And this is all tied in to verses 2, 3, and 4, where he talks about the division and disunity that was in the church, and Paul instructs them, that has to end. This division cannot continue for the church to thrive. There needs to be unity and self-sacrifice and love and grace. It's kind of like a a football team, okay? Bear with me. If you don't like sports, just bear with me on this. I will explain it as best I can. In a football game, you have offense and defense. When you are on offense, your ultimate goal is to get closer and closer to the goal line, to score a touchdown. Everything you are doing as a team is to get you closer to score. Each play is trying to move you forward. That's the big team goal, right? To get closer and closer to the end zone. 
But within that, within each play, as you're trying to move forward, there are actually 11 guys who each have an individual assignment or goal. The linemen, the big guys up front, are trying to protect the quarterback and running back. The quarterback and running back are, are either throwing or running the ball forward. The receivers have a specific route they need to run, whether it's straight, you know, straight fade or a, or a fade to the left or right or a, a button hook, whatever the case might be. They each have a specific route they need to run. And if they aren't all on the same page, if they aren't all doing exactly what their individual job is, it will be chaos and their collective goal will not be met. If you want a good example of this, turn on the Bears this afternoon. <laughs> Complete chaos. Paul says the church needs to be unified. They need, there needs to be unity and selflessness and servanthood within the church. The collective goal, he says, if you skip down to verse 15, is to be lights in the world. That's the collective end goal of the church. But each person individually has to work out their own salvation. You see, you don't inherit your relationship with Christ because your parents were Christian or because you were around the church a bunch as a kid. Your relationship with Christ, your life as a Christian, is yours to work out. Yes, we are one unified body as a church, but we're also individuals. There are some in this church that are part of CF who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. And at the same time, we have some who are new Christians still trying to figure out what it means and what it looks like to be a Christian. And so that means that the next step, the next step to get you closer and closer to being made in the image of Christ, the next step in your growth as a Christian, your sanctification, is going to look different for each person. The, the, the verse says, work out your own salvation. It's yours. It's not anyone else's. So for some, that means learning more about who God is, learning more about what it means to be a Christian at home, what it means to be a Christian at work, consistently striving to glorify God with every decision, repenting of the things that were part of your life and now have to die off because you're a Christian. That also means for others, for those who are a little more grounded, who are, have been Christians a long time, it means you should be finding someone to disciple, someone to help learn and grow in their walk. See, each person here has a different step, a different next step to get them closer and closer into who God is making them into be. Your life as a Christian is yours. So don't compare yourself, okay? You can look to someone as motivation or someone to emulate, right? You can see another older Christian say, hey, I want to be a Christian like they are. That's, that's good and that's, that's a good thing to do. But don't compare yourself to them. Don't get caught up in trying to be further along than when you are right now. Right? Don't try and skip steps. I want you to worry about your next step. Not the one six or seven steps from now. We'll get there. What's your next step? What does it look like today to start to progress and being made more and more into the image of Christ? Paul gives us a helpful tool here. And he describes how this should be happening with two words. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Fear and trembling. Again, I, I want to stress what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that we should be living and trying to work out our salvation out of anxiety and worry that if we don't do well enough, God's not going to like us. 
No, instead, when he says fear, we should read that and think awe. We should think the overwhel- and we should think about awe and the overwhelming understanding of who we are in relation to who Christ is. Because you see, when we have that right understanding of the power and authority and glory of God, it should produce in us some awe and yeah, a little bit of tension. When we truly understand who we are in relation to his perfect holiness, that should create in us some tension. But we don't have to fear him. But we should respect him. Christians, you have nothing to fear because the wrath of God was completely and totally poured out on Christ. You have, your status is son or daughter of God. You have nothing to fear, but you should respect him. You should understand who you are in relation to who God is. And when he says trembling, when he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, trembling is not always out of fear. You can tremble from excitement. Right? On my wedding day, it was, it was an awesome day. Oh, it was good. The weather was beautiful. Sarah looked amazing. Uh, it was a, a perfect day. And so we're at the altar, and, you know, we get to the part of the exchanging of rings. And the pastor uh, in the rehearsal said, you know what? I'm going to put Sarah's ring in my hand, hold it out to you. You grab it. You're going to put it on her finger. And so we get to that point, and he puts the ring out. And I have adrenaline and excitement and just joy billowing up inside of me and so I go to grab the ring and like between the sweat and the nerves and everything else that was going on I grabbed the ring and like fumbled it in my hands almost lost it saved it at the end it would have been super awkward had I like dropped it and had to go like searching for it right and I had a little bit of the shakes my hands were trembling a little bit was not out of fear not out of anxiety I was excited and happy and it was such a good day Trembling can come from those times. And and really, I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Because look at what he says in verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That reaction of fear and trembling, awe and, and excitement and trembling comes from an understanding that God is working in you. He's paying attention to you. He's invested in you. He's doing work in you. When it says God who works in you, works is the word energo, where we get the word energy. It's God who gives you life, who gives you fuel, who gives you energy. That should overwhelm us. That should give us this awe and this excitement, but it should also relieve some of the burden and the stress. Because that means that this working out your own salvation stuff, becoming more and more like Christ, isn't solely up to you. It isn't about doing everything on your own to try and impress and become more and more holy. Because God is working in you. Ephesians 2.10, the verse that comes after the, the verses that are up on the wall there, say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan for and a purpose for you. He has specific relationships, specific moments planned out ahead of time that he is inviting you into to bring him glory. 
God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The desire to pursue God, the desire to do good, to develop your relationship with him, to be a light in the world, the, the grief and remorse that you feel after you sin, the strong, empowered desire to repent and never go back to do that sin again. All of that, that desire, that motivation, that comes from God. That's God working in you and your will so that he can then work through you. God is always preparing you for these good works. He is always preparing you for these good works that he has planned for you to accomplish. And these good works that we're talking about, these aren't things just down the road, you know, so you can say, yeah, you know what, I'll take my Christianity serious later. 10, 15, 20 years when I'm older, when the kids are gone, then, you know, then I'll deal with it. No, that's not what he's saying. Because yeah, some are. There are some good works laid out ahead of you that he's preparing you for that won't you won't be ready for for another 10, 15, 20 years. But at the same time, there's a lot of them that are happening right now. You have family and friends and co-workers that God has put in your life for a reason. There are experiences and moments in your life now that God has prepared you for. Even when you experience something and your gut reaction is to say, you know what, God, I'm not prepared for this. I can't handle this. God has prepared you for that. And even in that situation, he's preparing you for something down the road to get you ready for another moment, another situation. You see, as we go through life, God is constantly working in us. And there's a few ways where you can discern how the Spirit is working in your life, how God is working. One of those ways is to ask the question, God, how are you seeking to transform me in this moment? God, what are you trying to teach me here? And it could be something as simple as having to sit in traffic on a day when you're super busy. God gets you stuck on the Kennedy at rush hour because you know what? It's time to develop some of your patience. It could be at Jewel in the 15 items or less aisle and you're standing behind someone who's having trouble with math and isn't really understanding the whole self-checkout thing and God wants to give, show you, help, teach you a little bit of grace and a little bit of servanthood and, and have you go and help that person. But you see, these things, these moments, these times where God is working on us and shaping us only works if we're mindful of our lives, if we're paying attention. We can't just be floating through and numb to this world or else we are going to miss seeing how God is working in us and through us. And again, I want to bring up, this does not mean you have no responsibility. Just because God is at work doesn't mean you get to ignore life. You have to respond. You have to choose to live into those moments. You have to choose to study the Bible. We're reading the Bible together, hashtag two-year journey, where we're taking two chapters every day, six days a week, reading through the Bible together as a church. And we're doing that, choosing to make that time because we know the Word of God brings life. And studying it will change us. We will see life change through that. And we're doing that together. 
But you have to choose to make that time. You have to choose to spend time in prayer, to spend time just talking with God. You have to choose to make good decisions and do right instead of wrong. God will give you the desire. That's him working on your will. And he'll give you the moment because he's planned them out ahead of time. And he'll give you the power because it gives you the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that worked in and through Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that was in Paul. That Holy Spirit is at work in you. God has given you the desire and the moment and the power, but you have to respond. He is working in you and through you so that through you, you will bring him good pleasure. Think about that for a second. The end of verse 13 says, God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about that. You have the ability to bring God pleasure. The great, almighty creator of all existence. The one who speaks and out of nothing, something is formed. The one who controls all things. That God, you have the ability to bring him pleasure. By just doing what you were made to do. Glorify God in every decision. Respond when he gives you the desire. When you have those moments... When you need to choose right from wrong, good from evil, when you need to choose whether or not you're going to speak up when you see injustice in your city, when you see injustice happening around this country, around the world, will you speak up? When you see that person in your life, that family member, that co-worker, that friend, who you know is searching and is hungry for something and is trying to find their identity and fulfillment in anything outside of Christ, and you know you need to speak the gospel and bring the gospel into their life, but it's hard and uncomfortable and might change the relationship, you have that moment. God has put that moment there for you. You are given the good works. They're planned out ahead of time. You are given the motivation. God is at work and in your will. You're given the tools to succeed. You just have to respond. Our lives as Christians. See, this all first starts with us accepting our need for a Savior and the free gift of grace Christ gave you. And from there, God is inviting you into a story, into a work, into the work he is doing here on earth of redeeming what is so clearly broken. He's inviting us to be part of what he's doing here by pointing people to him. Pointing people to the God who made them, knows them, and loves them. God is inviting you to be part of the amazing story of redemption that he is telling on this earth. Will you respond? Let's pray.